0: From the EBKV studios in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you're listening to The Angry and Negative Show on Brotherly Pod with your hosts, Angry Jim and Negative Dan. Oh, all right, everybody, welcome to the Angry and Negative Show here on Brotherly Pod. It is Wednesday, December 4th, and the Flyers are playing some good hockey in December, believe it or not. And uh, Jim, crazy yeah. to think that the Flyers are playing some hockey, huh?
1: It is crazy to think. I mean, they, they just tied their uh, Flyers season record for the month of November with uh, 24 points. I mean, holy shit, man. A couple weeks ago, it was like... They couldn't buy a win in regulation, and and now all of a sudden they're scoring five third period goals. You know, it's fun. They're fun to watch again. You know, I had fun watching the Flyers. Last night was fun.
0: It, it definitely was, and uh, we'll talk about the Flyers and more coming up. But we have a very special guest tonight from the Stick to Hockey podcast. Uh, Jason Martinez is here. Jason, what's up, man?
2: What's going on, boys? Nothing. Oh, you know the same old.
0: Just here, yeah.
1: yeah. A little bit of Flyers and a little bit of life.
2: Well, they're all fucked up, but they're all good. And, <laughs> and uh, today's a good day. Tomorrow may be a shitty day. <laughs> you never know. Absolutely. It's the curveballs of life.
1: Actually, I, I know all about shitty days, no pun intended. If you know what, I, I have Crohn's disease, so that that was the joke.
2: Oh, I didn't know you had Crohn's
1: disease. Yeah, so, uh, you know, good it, days and shitty it, days, you know?
2: does Is Crohn's disease the same thing that... um? Uh, the guitar player from Pearl Jam has, Mike uh, McCready?
1: You know, I'm not sure. I think he
2: does, yeah. You may.
1: Yeah, I'll have to look that up. You uh, remember Jake Diekman used to pitch for the Phillies? Sure, yeah. Yeah, I know he's got either Crohn's or, or colitis, one of them. He's, he's had a lot of his intestine chopped out. Not a lot of people know that, though.
2: uh uh-huh.
1: Hey, Yeah, he something new every day.
2: There you go. Yeah, Mike McCready has Crohn's disease. I just looked it up. Huh. Crohn's and colitis. He's a big uh, advocate of the Crohn's and colitis foundation. No way. I'll have to check that out. Well,
1: hey, there it's you, no jo- you go. No joke, but, it, you know, shit and Crohn's and, you know, it's funny.
2: <laughs> Sounds <laughs> hilarious.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, uh, we've got some flyers talk to get to. Jay, so we asked you to come on the show because, you know, you might have some things that you're a little bit angry about, and the show is called Angry and Negative. Uh do you have anything you want to get off your, your chest? I know there's been some, I mean, for us, some stunning developments, I'm sure for you as well, uh, within the last couple of weeks. Uh, anything you want to talk about in particular?
2: Well, I mean, look, everybody knows at this point that I was let go on Halloween, and, you know, in the in the middle of a show, I was asked to come back to the radio station when we were on remote, and that I needed to uh, talk to the boss, and which is odd, so I went back and found out that uh, the company was doing some uh, corporate layoffs, and my name was on the list. And it kind of threw my world upside down. Obviously, you know, wasn't expecting it, considering the show was doing really well. I was hitting bonus after bonus. So I was in line for my third trade bonus, and for that to happen, you know, right around the holidays, I'm getting ready to go trick or treating with my wife and and tell my kids, and boom, all of a sudden, you know, you come home and. Then you go, oh shit! I just ordered this fucking table from Raymore and Flanagan. That's like fucking five grand that got delivered that day, and you go, oh shit! I don't have a job. <laughs> you know, Christ. You like, you want to call Raymore and Flanagan back and go, can you assholes come pick this up? <laughs> <laughs> but you know that that kind of shit happens, and I'm not bitching about it because that's the you know the industry that I that I've made my living in for twenty almost twenty seven years now so it's part of the deal it can happen at any time it doesn't matter if you have a contract if you have good ratings apparently and and all those things but sometimes they just they you know you lose your gig and it is what it is and you move on to the next thing it's not the first time and it's not the last time I'm sure
1: so uh, I gotta be honest and uh you know I, I hope you know you my honest questions are okay if not then you know you don't have to answer them but you know, for a lot of us, especially Flyers fans, you know, you were one of the the better guys on the radio either station, and uh, for 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 you to come off the air was kind of like a shock. For I mean, I I mean, you're on Twitter. You've seen you know, all the Flyers fans were upset about that. Um, like what what was the reasoning? I mean, I mean, even not talking hockey. I thought you were one of the better guys on the radio. I mean, what what did they? Sadie, I mean, what was their reasoning for letting you go? It just shocked, I'm sorry, it shocked everybody.
2: Well, I mean, they they didn't give me a lot of reasoning because a lot of times when, when they do these things, and I was on the other side of that desk, I was in management and radio for a really long time. And all you want to do in that situation is get paperwork out of your hand, into the person's hands that you let go and get them out of your office. Mm-hmm. Because it's just an emotional situation. So they they you. We used to say you stick to the three by five card. You have the three things you say. Here's what's happening. Here's the paperwork. If you have any questions, let me know. And that's it. And they send you out of there because they want to get you out of the out of that environment immediately. So you don't get a lot of reasoning or anything like that. But I mean, it was like the George Costanza breakup. It's not you, it's me. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's it's that kind of thing. And in in my situation, um without revealing too much cause I can't, but um, you know, basically what happens in these situations is companies that are public um, as was the company that I worked for. When stocks go down, you have shareholders to appease and when uh, revenue goals are not achieved and stock prices are falling these corporate companies, they tend to ask for we, the way it was referred to when I was at CBS radio was they would give you what's called a cost task. They'll say, okay, here's your cost task. They'll say, you need to shave off $700,000 from your cluster of radio stations or your market, and that's what we need the savings to be to make us look like a leaner company from a cost perspective and, a, and you know on a spreadsheet. So we don't care how you guys do it, but this is what we need. So you can sit there and you can go, okay, I can get the $700,000. I can clip two people that make $350,000 each, or I can clip seven people that make $100,000 each. you got to figure out the equation, what you can get by with and what you can't. So when they look at those things, and you know, it a lot of times these stations have been made so lean that you can't sit there and you can't nickel and dime your way to whatever that cost task is because you do need essential personnel just to run day-to-day operations of a radio station. And you can go, well, let's, we can get rid of salespeople. There's some salespeople that are great, and there's some that are, don't do much. Well, salespeople don't really come into the equation here because they get paid based on commission. So it, it, they have a low draw or a low salary, so that's not really taking anything off the books. So it falls into the full-time employee category of guys that either are hosts, producers, management, uh, marketing, those kind of things, manager positions in sales and those are kind of areas where a lot of that tends to come from promotions they they what they'll do is they'll combine jobs, they'll say we're redundant in this department so where we had three people doing this one job now we'll have one person doing that job and we'll eliminate two salaries. So that's what happens and that's what I got caught in.
1: I mean, you know, with with some of the guys, and this is not a knock, this is just my personal opinion, obviously, but some of the guys that they, they kept on there, I think they really did themselves a, a disservice, and this is not me kissing ass or because you're on our show or anything, Jase, this is my honest, honest thoughts here, I think they really, they made a mistake, and, you know, you, you could tell off, just off Twitter, you know, a social media site, you know, how many people were disappointed to hear that, you know, you're no longer on with, with that particular station, because... I did see that. You know, it looked like you did a show with uh, Harry and and Aton. Is that is that what you did?
2: Ah, uh, yeah, I've I've jumped on with those guys on their ESPN show a few times. Yeah, those guys are
1: great, man. They made a mistake with those guys too.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I mean, Aton burned himself, and you know, he was just an idiot after kind of things went down. But but that's Aton. I love Aton. I can say that about him because he knows I love him. I'm the idiot who freaking put him on the air for the first time when I was at WIP. <laughs> and a lot of people are cursing at me for ever doing that. I, I but, love Time man. Yeah, he's a maniac. Look, he's a crazy guy. This is what I'll tell you about about uh, being on the radio. Really boring people. Like, if you're not like whacked out a little bit and you're on the radio, <laughs> you're really boring because yeah. you got to be crazy to do the job because normal people bore bore people. Yep. So you got to you got to be willing to have something that you rely on and and all while if you're going to be successful and, and earn respect of listeners which i think is the most important thing the the thing that i always tried to do my approach was really simple was to be authentic and transparent yeah. i'm not i'm never going to claim that i'm always right you know I, initially i was wrong about doug peterson i thought he was a, a total idiot I called him a half a stu I had the stu meter. And, when he, <laughs> and look, when he won the Super Bowl, I had, to, I had to eat shit. And I did. And I said, look, I was wrong. A lot of people won't do that. They always have to be right, you know? And so to me, it was always about, like, look, we can debate it. We can always have differing opinions and stuff like that. And, and I can dig in on certain ones harder than I can dig in on others. And I, I opened the door to the audience about my personal life a ton, probably more than anybody in the market in regards to my kids, my wife, you know, when my dad was sick, all of those things, I opened the door to people on that because I think that when somebody does that and they do it in a sincere way, uh, connects with your audience. And I didn't do it to grow audience, I just did it because that's the kind of person that I am. I'm transparent with my friends, I'm transparent with my family and people that are close to me, so it's just natural for me and people. The thing I always heard about when I worked with Harry was, it sounds like it's just two guys hanging out at a bar and drinking. And, and people don't know, but that was like a great compliment to Harry and I because we didn't go in there with this hot take agenda. Right. We went in there to talk about sports. We knew we weren't in there to save lives and cure cancer. We had fun, and we felt our job wasn't about being right. My That job to me and to Harry was more about entertaining people and taking them away from the shit that is life.
1: I have to agree with you one hundred percent, man. I mean, when when I watch sports or when I listen to the radio, it's because i I don't want to hear about what's actually going on in life. I want to escape for a little bit so I can appreciate yeah. everything you're saying and then I think
2: it's why I stayed away from politics. people yeah. go well, you're a pussy, you don't want to talk about Kaepernick, you're afraid. N- no, I'm not afraid to talk, but I have my opinions on it. but two things first, I just I decide not to divide my audience in half. Because no matter what side I take, what side I believe in, which is in this in this case, nobody's fucking business, um, then I automatically I be either become a, a a raging liberal or a, a racist, right wing Republican because okay. there's no in between anymore, right? Right. No, you so,
1: get put into uh, a category.
2: And seriously, who the fuck is coming to me huh. to hear about politics? I always I use the same analogy every time. <laughs> Just because McDonald's had the McPizza doesn't mean you should go to fucking McDonald's and order the <laughs> pizza. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's dumb. You know. So nobody's coming to me for that. So I'm not gonna sit there and burden them with my personal agenda. I have a huge stance on gun control. I won't even tell you guys what it is, but I, I don't. You. I don't put that agenda out there. All right. So. Yeah. That's not what
1: people are are, are tuning in to listen about. They want to hear about the Flyers, Eagles, Sixers, baseball, whatever.
2: And they want to have a few fucking chuckles. You know, they want to hear me do some stupid fucking impression of Tom Brokaw that (laughs) sounds like, you know, completely ridiculous. And and my job is to take them away from the things and the realities of life and give them a little entertainment. And that's what I try to do. So that was my approach when I went in every day. I wanted to go in and have fun because I believe if you are actually having fun, it will sound fun because it's authentic. And people would enjoy to listen to it.
1: 100% agree. Dan, that's, that's pretty much what we do here, right? You, you think?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you, <laughs> after we went off the air last week, you said, you know, why didn't we talk about you know, the Babcock stuff or, or what's going on in the hockey right now? And I said, no matter what opinion we have on it, our audience is going to be divided. There's gonna be people that, that feel the opposite of the way that we do, and, and I don't wanna do that. You know, I I have my opinions on what's going on in the NHL and with the coaches and such, but it's none of anybody else's business how I feel about this stuff. So I, I don't really like to talk about that. I just like to come on here and crack jokes and talk about the Flyers.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean like the Babcock thing and what happened with Bill Peters and now what's happening with Mark Crawford, to me it's a really interesting conversation. Yeah. Because it go because it, it's generational. And, and the world is changing. This is the Me Too movement of the NHL, Yeah, is basically what it is. And, look, i would heard stories about Mark Crawford from a guy that I've had on my podcast, uh, Patrick O'Sullivan, who, I don't know if you know Patrick O'Sullivan, he's a great American player. I just
0: read his book not too long ago. Yes,
2: yeah, so you know the story. I mean, he yeah. was abused by his father relentlessly. He had to get a restraining order against him. He eventually kicked the shit out of his dad. And Mark Crawford was a coach early in his career, and used those experiences of him growing up with his father in that situation against him, which is as vile as it gets. And, you know, but the thing is, the thing that scares me now is just because people make an accusation now, their action tends to follow. And there's a saying that I, I saw somebody, a buddy of mine post on Facebook and I agree with it completely. And it says, just because you are offended doesn't mean you're right.
1: Right.
2: So look, the world has changed and we want to tear down monuments and statues and do all those things all over the place. And like, I got a tweet tonight that from somebody that said something about Kate Smith and the flyers Christ. and my opinion on that. And I don't talk about it, but the only thing that I've ever really said about it was simple was that if, if that statue affected your ability to, to like a hockey team or not like a hockey team, well then that's your, look, that's your prerogative. But if you're letting the fact that that statue is no longer there affect your enjoyment of the sport and you're going to boycott for it, I feel sorry for you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I didn't give a shit when that statue was there before any of the allegations came out. I didn't care about the. You know, I was like, let's move on from the God bless America thing to begin with. I'm tired of the past. So I, I don't understand why people hang on to it. But there's just so many people that want to be offended in today's world. That they'll find something to be offended about because they get happiness in one thing, being unhappy and yep. bitch, bitch, bitching, and it's and to me it's exhausting, and I don't want to surround my people, myself with people like that.
1: No, we and and I understand hundred percent. A lot of people go. I mean, I, we could turn this into a whole different thing here, but a lot of people go through life just just unaware of their own thoughts and emotions. And they don't even realize that they're complaining about shit that really doesn't bother them. It really means nothing to them, but you know, if they can make a big deal about it and make themselves feel important, they'll, they do it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The guy responded to me, a tweet of mine about the flyers and says, I don't care because they're run by a bunch of cowards. Now bring back Kate hashtag (laughs) shame, the flyers. (laughs) Like dude, seriously, were you going to games before because they had a statue? You fucking fraud. You you know, like he's probably a guy that said, oh, they're still stuck in the past with that. And then as soon as they got rid of it, now he's like, I won't watch because of that. That just seems to me, that just seems dumb. But, hey, everybody's here's the deal, guys, in a social media world. And and this is a motto that I've decided to uh, like a platform I would run on for public office in a social media world with Twitter and Facebook and especially Twitter, because it can be anonymous. We can never eradicate dumb. Huh. It's, there, there's dumb everywhere now, and there's trolls everywhere now, and it's pathetic. But we can't eradicate it because it's out of the box, and, uh, and there's nothing to do to change the, it.
1: The majority of people, I mean, in, a, in the world, in America, wherever, the major- this is my belief, my opinion, by the way, and if I offend anybody, I, you know, whatever. But the majority <laughs> of people out there are actually dumb. Like and it's not to say that they're stupid. They're not smart. They're just dumb. Like yeah. they 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 don't know what they're actually thinking, and then what they think actually comes out. Like God forbid somebody thinks before they speak or think before they type something. And, and I don't know. It's just it, it just drives me nuts, man. And there are there are a lot more dumb people than there are more self aware people out there, and it just bothers the hell out of me.
2: Yeah, and the dumb is very vocal. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> dude.
1: They don't think twice. It just spews out of their mouth. Yeah yeah we we agree there for sure. and uh, this all that this all um, so I have like a love hate thing with with the human population and it leans more to hate. more so because of people like that. I just can't, you know you meet these people every single day. It's like, how do you put your shoes on in the morning, like Jesus Christ. yeah. but uh yeah, I mean, do we want to kind of shift back to hockey? Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? I mean, we got the whole show here. you don't you don't have to rush or anything.
2: No, I mean, I think you were referring to initially a tweet where I put out the other day where I just woke up and I was in an angry mood. Is that the? because I think that's when you contacted me? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, look, when you uh, I don't know if you guys have, you know, lost a gig or whatever and, you know, you lose a job or you get a twist in life and you sit there and you have to go through these. God, this is fucking, like, cerebral. I feel like I'm Dr. Phil. <laughs> but, uh, but, like, like you have to go through the range of emotions to get to the other side. Yeah. So, like, one day you wake up where you're, like, you wake up and you're hopeful or you wake up one day and you're positive. And, sometimes, and for me, like, the morning when, you know, the first three weeks or so where I was without a job was the hardest for me because I'm, like, when I get up in the morning first, I suck in the morning. I'm a fucking asshole in the morning period, Right. And so just getting up in the morning, I'm grumpy. I like to just get up, get showered, get dressed, get the hell out of here and go to work and then wake up as I go, you know, about my day and get into a better mood. But like so in the morning, like on that particular day, like I woke up and I was I was pissed off. I'm like, you know, I got fucking nothing to do today. I had gone on. Th- I've talked to a 100 fucking people about potential opportunities. And I have I have, look, I have a tongue going on. I'm blessed and a lot of uh, tons of interest in, in what I want to do next. But that day I just woke up and I'm like, you know what? It was like a Friday or whatever. And I'm like, you know, the fact that I'm not going to work today pissed me off. And I had something to say that day. And, and, and you know what? That day I didn't want to get, not get angry. I wanted to embrace the anger. So I did. You know what I mean? Like I woke up listening to fucking Megadeth, Holy Wars. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it, and was like, You know what? I'm just going to embrace the anger today and kind of purge it. And that's what I did. And just, I stayed angry. I had a fucking Philip Anselmo from Pantera scowl on my face the whole day. (laughs) Like, if I went into Wawa to buy a freaking soda, I mean, they must have looked at me like, this motherfucker, he's, what the fuck, you know? I already look angry anyway because, you know, being heavily tattooed and shaved head and a big fucking beard. It's like, who the fuck is this guy? Right. So it was just one of those days where I was like, you know what? fuck everybody, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. and, and, and then to use another Pantera thing, it was just, I was fucking hostile the entire day, <laughs> and, and I was like, you know what, if somebody cuts me off in traffic today, the fucking window's <laughs> going down, and the window went down, It was like, you motherfucker, you know, like, I was just jacked that day.
1: What's your, uh, what's your go-to, uh, curse word, and, and, uh, you know, when you got the road rage going?
2: <laughs> motherfucker.
1: <laughs> That's it?
2: Oh yeah. All
1: right, Dan. So, yeah, I, I feel I like just that's a legit question.
2: Yeah, I keep it real simple.
0: Yeah. Oh, Dan, what's yours? Yeah, yeah, probably motherfucker as well. That's a good okay. old-fashioned classic one.
2: Dude, damn. it's so versatile.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, you could just right, go no.
2: motherfucker, or you can go <laughs> you motherless fuck. You know, you can just <laughs> <full-less> <laughs> to do it. You can say fucker in six syllables. Fucking fucker fuck. There's yeah. so many things you can do. <laughs> It's got such versatility to it.
1: You ever uh, you ever tell someone to pull over? Like, you're not really going to pull over. <laughs> but you ever tell someone to pull over because you're going to kick their ass?
2: Yeah, and I do. And I do pull over. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I go right to the back of my car and pull out a freaking a, a 26-inch paddle CCM bullet stick.
1: Oh, fuck, man. That's too good.
2: All the time.
1: well, time I told someone to pull over. They did pull over, and I'm like, oh, shit, and I just sped up.
2: When I I was younger, I I would get really pissed off, and I had a sunroof in my car. And this dude was just fucking tailgating me nonstop. And I had like a McDonald's like soda cup, like a spitter, you know, Juke Copenhagen. And I just fucking launched that thing right out the sunroof onto his windshield. (laughs) (laughs) That's fucking sick. And and as I did it, I said, "You fucked with the wrong bull today, motherfucker."
1: I was waiting for a motherfucker. Yeah. That's
2: too good, man. Now, you said you tatted up. What do you got? Oh, uh, geez. I, like, as a number of tattoos, you can't even count them at this point. They're just wow. real estate's just covered. I got a full sleeve. And just a lot of my stuff is, uh, like, biomechanical, evil. I have about 30, 30 or 40 eyeballs on me in all different places. What is I it like, like, eyeballs? Just, like, evil eyeballs that are mixed into all my work and stuff like that. So. That's
1: interesting.
2: Yeah, I don't know why the eyeballs, but they're all over the place. So I can see people from fucking every angle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was going to say, man. Shit. Oh, man. Dan, you, what do you think about that? You're into some evil shit, aren't you?
0: I mean, you know, I'm a heavy metal fan. I don't have any tats, though. Hey. I always wanted to get one. I just never got around to it yet.
1: I feel like you and Jason might listen to the same uh, same bands, or Pro- not.
0: Probably Megadeth, Pantera. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: that's. Well, dude, I did I did rock radio for the first like nine years of my career. So did you really? Yeah. So it was, and I did a metal show. And, and look, I've always been a metalhead since like 1983, when my brother came home with Blizzard of Oz. My brothers that are five years older than me. And, like, his buddy gave him Blizzard of Oz, and I listened to it from Ozzy, and I just looked at the cover, and I was like, holy shit, I'm totally drawn to this. And always been into it, and as a musician, and, you know, just, like, the musicianship of it. Like, a lot of people hear noise. I don't hear noise when I hear that. I hear musicianship, and, like, so, uh, it just, I've gotten to meet every rock star that I've ever, you know, my favorites in my life. I've been very blessed and lucky to do that, and i was really tight with the guys from pantera because i was one of the first guys to play some of their stuff on the radio when i was doing a metal show way back in the the, the mid 90s and early 90s so it was was very cool yeah Yeah. i got a a nice dime bag daryl washburn signature guitar that he gave me and signed to me hanging on my wall which is just fucking awesome
1: man that is
2: perfect
0: Bet you'd like to have that, huh, Dan?
2: Yeah, that'd be a nice, uh,
0: nice wall piece there for sure.
2: Yeah, and, and look, it's odd because, like, very few of those guys, like, disappointed me when meeting them. You know, a lot of times when you meet, like, like people, like, you put up on that pedestal, you meet them and you're like, oh, fuck, I wish I'd have never met them. Yeah. But, like, those guys were, you know, so cool, most of them. You know, the only one that was kind of, like, dicky was, like, Kerry King from Slayer was kind of a bit fucking weird. Like, not weird, but, like, just... Kind of bizarre, but like I mean, I went out to dinner with Zach Wilde one night in Philly, who was the guitarist for Ozzy, of course, and Black Label Society, the Jersey guy, and I got to know him a little bit over the years. And we went to a we went to the Smith and Walensky's on Rittenhouse Square, and we walked in the door like the revolving door, and there's like lawyers and shit everywhere in there, you know, (laughs) and he. He was so drunk drinking Bex and he just fucking duffed it as soon as he walked in the door <laughs> like fucking huge chains hanging off him, and We sat up there in a private dining room with like six of us a couple of the couple of the guys another guy from the band Nick Cantonese and uh, the other tour manager and a guy that I worked with when I was at YSP mm-hmm. And just got fucking hammered all night. I don't even think we ate any of the food and we ordered like $3,000 worth of food. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's how you know it's a fucking good night right there.
2: Oh, like Blackout City, dude.
1: Yeah, you forget I, that you order fucking food.
2: I, I was at, with Pantera. They were in town for Ozfest 2000. And I was with the guys and we went. I took them up to a place that in the Northeast that used to be called John's Boardwalk. Cause, and they used to have like, you know, small acts that would play there and there was a band that played there that night called I Hate God and oh, Phil, Phil Anselmo was a good friends with those guys from I Hate God so I took them up there and I called up and said hey we're gonna come up and I'm gonna bring the guys up and they sectioned the t- an area off for us and we went up and then we went to Delilah's after and these you know the guys from Pantera Vinny and Dime buying me fucking lap dances it was a great night
1: that sounds like a fucking good night
2: yeah and then, then for the show cause I was real tight with a couple of the guys I, I watched their whole set as the co-headliner with Ozzy from Dimebag's guitar with his guitar tech there on the side. So like every time he came over to change guitars, we would do a shot of what's called a black tooth grin, which is Crown Royal and a splash of Coke. So by the end of the show, we're just fucking bombed. It was it <laughs> it was it was, it was one of the greatest nights of my life.
1: Sounds like they um, didn't disappoint.
2: Nah, dude, they were such good guys. Even though they were cowboy fans, they were great dudes. Oof.
1: So I met I met one of my favorite bands. I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard of them. They're a little, you know, they're kind of smaller. They're called Fit for a King. But, and I met them last year, and I'm expecting, like, uh, you know, when I walk in the room, they're all going to be doing, like, lines of cocaine and, you know, chugging beers and shit. And everyone's just hanging out, you know, eating, like, Greek food and shit. And, you know, we're just sitting there in, a, like, basically a, an oversized closet just hanging out. Bullshit. And I'm like, man, this is not what I expected at all. You know, it was kind of underwhelming a little bit. So to hear the stories that that you have over there, I'm like, what the fuck, man?
0: You can't, <laughs> yeah, fucking smash,
1: I... can't smash going to strip clubs with Pantera and shit, and I'm yeah, over here a... Eating, fucking, uh, eating a gyro.
0: Different era, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's oh, true.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and look, it just depends on when you – dude, I sat on Sebastian Bach from Skid Row. and I got to know him a little bit through the guys from Pantera, actually, when I was in State College doing radio. He came in and did a Sebastian Bach show. And me, him, and his penthouse pet fiancé at the time sat on the bus after the show, and smoked every kind of weed through every kind of device for about four hours. I don't even know <laughs> how I walked home that night. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was like five thirty in the morning. It was just, it would just and we were just bullshitting, like cranking metal and just going nuts. It was, it was insane.
1: Those are some of the fucking best nights, right there, man. Like you look yeah. back and you're like, shit, those were the yeah. days. What do you, I mean, you do any of that kind of stuff now or what? You, you just hang out with the fan?
2: Dude, I'm as lame as it gets now. I've become more anti-social. <laughs> and I don't do shit. My wife's like, let's go out. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and then I'll go out, you know, for a little bit. And then as soon as like a crowd starts to arrive at a bar or whatever, as soon as they go, hey, we got to move the tables because more people are coming. I'm like, fucking Uber out of here. I have I'm time to go. Yeah, I get out and, you know, and just just like I, I'm more just like chill now than, than anything else.
1: Yeah, that sounds familiar. I, I got a force myself to
2: get out. What was that? I blew it out good in my prime, so.
1: Oh, yeah, there you go. YOLO. All right, Dan, right, Dan isn't that your, uh, your motto?
2: Short. Sure. <laughs> Is he still, like, nervous? I think he's going to puke.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Dan, didn't you puke the one night, or, or did you almost puke?
2: Almost, the... yeah, after the, uh, the the
0: lost angry negative show that night. Yeah.
1: What the hell happened? Oh my god! Don't let's not talk about the lost show. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you did almost throw up. Yeah. It wasn't on
0: air though. That was a lot of vodka that night.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was good times. So yeah, I mean, we could talk about uh, some flyers if you guys want. I mean, the, the team's looking pretty, uh, pretty good.
2: Yeah, no doubt, man. They're they're running right now, and they kicked the shit out of the Leafs last night. So. Yeah. What do you think, man? Is this is this legit? Or let me let me ask you
1: this because I, I kind of ask everybody and you know give me your honest. Uh, are you excited? Are you getting excited about this team, Jace?
2: Um, are they for real? I, I mean, I've been I've been kind of working and covering the league for so long. Like maybe excited is the wrong word for uh, me at this point. But um, I, I'm excited for the fans because I think they have something real to grab onto this time. And I'm excited because. There's a lot of guys that that I've become pretty tight with on that team over the years, um, that they're they look like they're going to be able to do something a little bit more substantial in the big picture of as far as team success goes. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Drew, Like, I mean, it, it killed him every year when they would get knocked out or they wouldn't make the playoffs. People don't know that about him, you know, and it, you know they'd be called a bad leader or you know an overrated player and all those things, but. That sport is so predicated on three things to me. One is having complete buy-in and the right players for the right system, number one. Number two, having the necessary depth to be able to do real damage because if you don't have that, and I can cite example after example of teams that have great players that didn't have playoff success because their team didn't have depth. Like Just look at Edmonton. they got the best player in the world and Connor McDavid and, and Leon Draisaitl, and they didn't even make the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. And then they haven't had goaltending. So if you can check those three boxes, then you can start to start think about doing something special. And right now, through this part of the season, and it's a third right now, they just started their second third of the season last night with game 28. Then, you know, if you look at that and you go, okay, this is where they are now, and in my opinion, they're still in the process of Figuring out exactly what Elaine Vigneault wants to do, and when you have those things, they're on a on a path that's different from years past. But I'm not ready to sit here and say this is totally different from years past, because I have seen seen them play a month of great hockey, and have ten game win streaks, and then fall back. Mm-hmm. Difference is with this coaching staff, he's not going to allow that to happen, because you hear the things he says publicly about players, whether they're making a million dollars a year or they're making $9 million a year, whether they're in their first year in the league or it doesn't matter who you are. Um, and when he calls them out publicly for what they're doing hockey-wise, guys like Voracek, like James Van Riemsdyk, uh, guys like Shane Gostisbehere, the one thing that you know is that anything that he says publicly, he has already said to them privately. And it makes everybody realize that they have to earn everything they get they're given nothing based on their path on their past so i think that's a huge factor not only to where they are right now but where they can potentially go and then you couple that with the goaltending that they're getting from carter hart and he's gonna have some rough patches through the rest of this year at points no doubt about it he's 21 years old every goalie does whether you're 21 or you're 38 and, but the fact that you have a veteran there like brian elliott to help navigate through those situations changes everything for me. So um, I'm really, really encouraged where they are already and where they can possibly go. I'm not saying they're a cup contender this year. I'm not going there. But right now they're playing tremendous hockey, and that's what you have to look at through a third of the season, and they've done a great job so far.
1: Absolutely. Uh, if I can ask you real quick before we get too far away. So, I mean, guys like us, I mean, obviously we don't have like locker room access, things like that. I mean, we have some cool guests on, you know, maybe they'll know somebody that knows somebody Jason, you've actually talked to some of these guys and I won't ask you to, um, you know, name anybody specifically, but there's a couple players and I'm, I'm sure you'll know who I mean that, you know, the, the, the perception of some fans throughout the course of the last year or two has, has changed into a negative way. Uh, about them is there anything you could say you know uh, about these guys that might change the the perspective to a positive light if you know what I mean like because all we see is the interviews and some of the play on the ice and it's very easy to to assume you know negative things about these guys and you know it's easy to forget that nobody's going out there to play bad everyone's going out there to play well you know Uh, go ahead
2: yeah yeah I mean I, I can give you an example, and I'll put a couple names to him, too. Um, it, like I'll, I'll put a name to a guy like Jake Voracek because he's got the crosshairs right now from a lot of the fans. Sure. And and to me, he's a guy that's had a hard time adjusting to this system of Elaine Vino. Um, even though I think this system is a, a system that once he does completely adjust and he finds the right chemistry to play this system will have a good sure. amount of success. But... Um, you know he's a guy that i think is a bit misunderstood off the ice more than on the ice um, he he's a guy that what people don't know about him and i've tried to say this and and frankly i've talked to the team about this that these things need to become more public about these players so people understand the player off the ice as more so or as much as the player on the ice because I think that that's important. Um, There is no guy on that Flyers team in the last seven years, and I've covered them for more than a decade, in the time that he's been here since 2012, that does more charity, that does more for wounded warriors, that does more for cancer-stricken kids, that does more for the community than Jake Voracek. And I guarantee anybody that's hearing this right now had no clue except for the people that have been involved in that, whether it's a win, it's a loss or anything. There was a group of people in the locker room where I worked, which is right by their locker room next to it in in the locker room called NBA one, which is the visiting locker room waiting after every game that he would have at a game, whether that was guys that were in Iraq missing legs, whether that was sick kids, whatever it was and whether, whether they, he would have them as his guests and he would come in there and he would talk to them and he would take pictures and he would sign stuff, whether they won, they lost or whatever, whether he played great or played like shit. And he would do that all the time. Now the, the, the commendable part about that is a, that people don't know it. So he doesn't do it for the reasons, all the wrong reasons to look like a good guy. It's true. He does it for the right reasons because he believes in it. And he was brought up with those values from his old girlfriend, Nicole Warnicky and they put a foundation together and he's followed through on it. Um, but what I will say is that if more people did know that about him, they would perhaps view him in a different light, maybe a little bit as a hockey player, but more so as a human. And it would also create a little bit more awareness for the things that he does and therefore help those people even further. So he's one of those guys that's a prime candidate for that. I love him. I, he is a sweetheart of a guy. But people don't see that side of him because they see the after game comments in the locker room where they see the turnovers on the ice. Those are things that people don't know. Those are things that I've been lucky to to be able to see behind the scenes. And I embarrass him every year when I talk to him, like at the carnival or something like that in a sit down long interview. And I bring it up and you can tell he doesn't love when I bring it up because that's not why he's doing it.
1: Oh, huh. that's very, that's really interesting. He sounds like a, like a genuine guy.
2: He absolutely is. Yep, And, and he hates all the hockey cliches and stuff like that. And he mocks it. And you know, which is, which is good and refreshing. It's weird though. Cause in sports nowadays, like we all sit there and we bitch and go, well, they never say anything. And as soon as they say something, we tear them to shreds for saying it. <laughs> you oh, know yeah. what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely, man. So w- which way do you want it? You know?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And hockey like the most cliched sport. I mean, every, every interview is the frigging same.
2: Oh, yeah, get pucks deep, get bodies to the net, work hard, and cycle.
1: Yeah, we got to yeah. learn. We'll do better next time.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: you know what? I wonder why the Flyers don't promote that more because it, the Eagles, I feel like, do a hell of a job promoting their players with the charities and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I wonder why the Flyers don't do that. It can only be a positive thing.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they, the organization does a ton of that, and the players mm-hmm. you know, give a lot to that, but um, it, it's the culture of the sport. In in the culture of that sport, you never hear players sit there and say, yeah, I was great tonight. They always, always give their teammates the credit, the coaches the credit. They always deflect credit to everybody else because growing up playing the sport, you're always taught that the locker room, it's the sum of all parts, and it's never an individual in the sport. And that's the way the sport has always been at all levels, and it goes all the way through into the NHL level.
1: That's interesting. That, that's, no, that's something it's, that – It's not
2: universal, by the way. <laughs> I mean, there are some guys that can be JOs. Oh, yeah. I won't attach their names to it. But, I mean, over the years that I've covered the team very closely and, and you know, been involved and in the locker room and, and behind the, the velvet rope, if you will, um, there's probably only about three guys that I didn't really mesh with well.
1: Wow, this is interesting. And you sure you don't want to say them?
2: Um, I, I'll right. say, I'll say one of them cause he's no longer here. All right. Deal. Uh, and that was Braden Coburn. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, he was like a nice enough guy and stuff like that, but, and, and, and I had a really good relationship with his wife cause she was a chair at one point for the flyers wives. But for some reason he and I just didn't mesh. <laughs> I don't know why it was, but
1: like, you didn't get along or you just, it was like, it was weird.
2: It was weird. <laughs> yeah, like, we never really had words or anything like that. But, like, like when Jeff Carter and, and Mike Richards were here, like, a, when I would put them on the air, it was like, and interviewing them, it was like listening to paint dry. They would give me nothing, and it would drive me crazy because, it, it, because the, when I would talk to them off the air, I had a greatly – like, I used to talk to Jeff Carter about NASCAR racing all the time, and we would talk all the time off the air. But as soon as I had a microphone in front of them, it was like talking to <laughs> And I used to say, like, Carts, why don't you give me anything? And he's like, because I don't want to talk to the media. I go, but we talk all the time. He goes, yeah, but then you're not media. When you have the microphone, you're media.
1: Well, what the fuck? Does he agree to come on? Like, don't you ask him to come on?
2: No, like I would ask, like I would like ask the you know Flyers PR guy I'd tell Zach Hill. I'd say, hey, like I want to talk to Carter after this period. Okay. And he would come in and he'd be like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I'd be like. And then after the game, he'd be like you bastard, you did it to me again. And He would just laugh about it. So he, yeah, was, just, he was conscious of what he was doing. Yeah, he wanted to play hockey, and he didn't want to talk about it during the game. And there are some guys. Look, you got to respect it too. Like Ivan Provorov, you'll never hear uh, an interview with him in between periods because yeah, I noticed that. he he just he stays so focused on the game that he doesn't do that in between periods. Kimo in was the same way. Um so you got to look, I got to respect it. I go, OK, those are guys that just don't want to do that. And, hey, that's their process. And if they think that makes them play better they their prerogative, I'm not going to I'm not going to hold that against them. If I ask for him after a game, you know, to come in and sit down after a win or something like that, once they get undressed, they come in and it's great. You know, we yeah. checks the same way. He doesn't want to talk in between periods. So we don't. I would talk to him after games.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting because I actually was thinking about that the other day. How Some guys you never see do the uh, intermission interviews or anything like that. You never hear them on the radio do the in- intermission interviews.
2: Yep. Yeah. But, uh, but, but then you have like conversely, you have guys like like every insanely odd moment that ever happened in between periods was with Scott Hartnell. <laughs> I swear <laughs> to God, like I, I remember one time there was like three minutes left in a period and I said, that's who I want. Like, he had a goal earlier in the period or something like that. I'm like, I want Hartnell. And he was always good. And with about three minutes left in the period, he walked down the tunnel, walked into the room, the NBA one room where I was, walked in, looked at me, went over, took his stick and just smashed it into a 100 pieces, looked at me again and walked out. And then I had him. And then he took a penalty with about 30 seconds left in the period. So he was already pissed. And he takes a penalty and I still have him coming in. And he walks in with his new stick, right? And I and my table's there set up with all my equipment on it. And I had a brand new can of Copenhagen chew sitting on the table. <laughs> oh even. shit. And he just two by four the stick across the table <laughs> before they threw it to me. And this can of chew just explodes <laughs> everywhere, right? And we go on and we do the interview and he, you know, he's professional during the interview. And then and, and then the next home game that he came to He comes walking into my locker room as I'm sitting there getting set up like 90 minutes before the game. And he walks in and gives me three cans of chew and goes, here you go, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but but like just some of the weird, more bizarre things would always seem to happen around Hartnell. But like some of the guys were like like Danny Briere was the nicest, most accommodating guy ever. The French Canadian guys are all incredible. Simone Gagné. Was another guy, even Vinny Cavier the short period of time that he was here, Ian LePerriere, Drew, who's a guy that I probably obviously have the, the best relationship with because he's been here the longest and all of that. So there, there's, a, there's a, a lot of the guys are really, really great guys.
0: I think the perception with Voracek and, you know, you see his less than stellar play on the ice, you see, you know, the kind of cash that he's making and he blocks everybody on Twitter. And I just think that's the perception of him. I don't think a lot of the people, your your casual fans know all the work that he does, you know, with the charity stuff.
2: Yeah, you know, I actually addressed him about the blocking on Twitter for some reason he had me blocked and I'm like, (laughs) and, and I think it was like a guilty by association. Somebody tweeted something about him to me. And whatever he blocked me, and I noticed it, so I went. There, I said, I said, dude, you know what? What the f? Why, why'd you block me? He's like, what are you talking about? I said, you got me blocked on Twitter, man. You know, you know, I'm a big supporter of you, and blah blah blah. And, and he checked it out, and then when he, after he did that, he unblocked like everybody. What? <laughs> yeah, I never made that story public, but like I kind of went to him and was like, dude. I said, dude, don't read it if you if you're it's gonna bother you. Seriously. Well, yeah. So.
1: I don't know if I could ever do that and just sit there and read all, all the negative tweets or whatever.
2: Yeah. I'm not a guy that blocks a lot of people on Twitter either, but I think nah, I have about like 60 people blocked, but that's because they're just raging, raging losers. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and if they go race or my kids or oh they're just God. raging losers, that's now I just block them just because it's like
1: uh, – a shame, man. I just want shame, to,
2: man. To, 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 to wither away into to absolute you know, obscurity.
1: Yeah, fuck that. That's bullshit. Uh, Damn, what else you got over there?
0: What do you You think of. (laughs) 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 What do you think of. JVR and Ghosts kind of getting a lot of garbage goals lately. Both of JVR's goals were the sixth of six that they scored against uh, Detroit and Toronto. Gossage Bear had kind of a cheap goal against Detroit. Then he actually had a good goal last night, but it was again the Leafs were already beat at that point. Do you think that that offense is coming legitimately, or is it just because you know the teams uh, scoring a lot and they're just kind of piling on?
2: Um, I, I think that both are very different in in how I'll answer the question. So I'll take them one at a time. Right. Um let's start with Van Riemsdyk because to me they demoted him to the fourth line and, and he's had a ton of great opportunities to score. I'm just looking it up right now. His shooting percentage on the year is, is unbelievably low yeah. and for a guy that scored a lot of goals. He's okay. had a lot of chances. He's got six goals so far this year. Um, he, I think eventually he will score more because he's getting great A chances and going to the right places and, and while he's not living up to his expectations offensively, um, he is a guy that actually has been pretty good defensively, which has never been a trademark of his career. Um, so th- that's where I am kind of on Van Riemsdyk. On Goss despair this is a whole different story for me because I've I've been critical of him since year two, and I I just I thought he was a uh, he he was a, what I call a dramatic player, where he makes very dramatic plays. But I never really bought into the hype on him, and I, I've caught a lot of criticism for my criticisms of him. Um, he's obviously not a good defender, and especially if he's not producing offensively. If he produces offensively, he seems to get a little bit better as a defender because he has confidence. But, like, this year in 25 games, I believe he only has three goals and maybe six assists for nine points. And he's not producing offensively. He's been horrific defensively. And it, to me, he's been what I term as a net negative. He's never a net positive defensively, but he can be an overall net positive because of what how he pushes play. But this year he seems lost at the wheel, and the big thing is is that now he's had a problem with several head coaches and defensive coaches. So that tells me there's something a little bit deeper there. Maybe there's an arrogance or something like that. And there's this, also this misconception that he's this dynamic skater that can fly up and down the ice. Well, that's not true because, first of all, he's never been a fast skater. He's a shifty player. But ever since his quarter surgery a couple of years ago, which I think was around two thousand sixteen, he doesn't seem to have the burst that he had prior to that. To explode with pucks out of the corner. He's weak on board battles. He's just not a player that I've believed in to a tremendously high level.
1: So you mentioned um you know he, he doesn't look like he's playing well. A lot of analytic guys will will say different. Do you do you mm-hmm. buy in do you buy into any of the analytics stuff? I mean, what what are your thoughts and opinions on, on analytics?
2: Yeah, I've heard from a few of those guys over the years. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, look, I think analytics are a tool, and I think you'd be a fool not to, to, to look at them and be a fool not to consider elements of them. But I think you also have to use your eyes and base things on what you see and, and – when I watch him play, I see a net negative right now, which is what Elaine Vigneault is saying because he's scratching him from the lineup. so when i when I see those things, um, I trust my eyes more than I trust a Corsi stat right. that he drives offense, you know? so um while those stats are good on occasion, sometimes they don't tell the whole story because I've seen because here's the deal. I've seen. You know the the diehard analytics people and the people that live and die by it go. Well, the Flyers had a fifty six point four one Corsi in that game. <laughs> yeah, but they lost six to one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So as long as the scoreboard that keeps score, Corsi is a tool in kind of and and the and advanced analytics are a tool in evaluating a player's metrics. But Corsi and those things can never account for what basically I would call like the, the three Cs. Coachability, number one, which is something I just cited with Goss Despair, character, which is another huge one. You can you can't measure character with a stat and consistency. So with those three C's, if you don't if you don't check those boxes, I don't give a shit what your Corsi says because if you can't combine the three of those, then you're a net negative. And that's where I am on him right now.
1: On ghosty ghost.
2: Yeah. So maybe you've kind of just figured out one of the players that <laughs> I, I don't have the greatest relationship with.
1: <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, but you know, you mentioned him and, and I got to be honest, Jason, a lot of what you said about ghost, you know, I agree hundred percent with, um, you know, uh, I mean, uh, Pretty much everything you said, you know I've been saying, and then I think you think the same way about uh, gossip I mean, yeah, absolutely it is, it is the angry and negative show. so like when when there is a guy that you know pisses us off, we don't really hold back. and we've talked about gossip bear many times on this show <laughs> pretty much um, every week, yeah, I mean, it, but there's one thing that we can't really comment on, and we're kind of just guessing like he 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 looks like a douche during his interviews and and things like that. and I'm kind of just wondering is he is he really like that is he like that in the locker room and I mean obviously we were we're all kind of you know uh wrong about Voracek cuz he's apparently a, a genuine he's a good guy uh just comes off like a douche to me and is would that be accurate or what is what's up with Ghost?
2: Well I mean I'll leave it to people to make their own kind of you know characterization of what he is but I I would agree with the fact that he does come off as um a bit arrogant and very, it's almost like matter of fact, like I don't deserve to be scratched, you know? So um, there's two ways you can take being a healthy scratch. And I've talked to Chris Terry about this. He was, he was a healthy scratch. I think it was in his second or third year under Ken Hitchcock. And he took it the right way. And he went to the press box for a couple of games and he came back and he was never a healthy scratch again. And he said it, cha- it saved his career because it let him just get up there, kind of look at things, reassess, and go, okay, I have to do things differently at this level or I'm not going to have success. Other guys get up there, and they look at it, and they go, this is bullshit. i got to be out there. Uh, you know, I, and I don't know if, how God's despair looks at it, but I can just tell you that the result of it leads me to believe that direction.
0: That Didn't is, he he's... give an
2: interview like
0: a couple weeks back where he's like, "I gotta remember that I'm a one of a kind player and I'm special and I deserve to be out there" or something like that? It was like, dude, this guy just comes off as such a dick.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, guys, players have to think that way to an extent, you know, because they're, they're elite athletes and you know, just to even play in that league and have any success at any time, I guess you have to believe that. But it, the way you articulate it sometimes doesn't come out real, real good for you let's just say that like he doesn't
1: players like him don't grow on trees
2: yeah yeah i think that's what it was well yeah i mean thank god because i don't want to keep plucking that tree <laughs> 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 oh, but, but, oh. but but again you know what he did when he came in was so insane it set an expectation yes that this was going to be the second coming of eric carlson and i i cautioned people against it and and I know all the people on the message boards and on Twitter were like, oh, he's an idiot. He doesn't know anything about the game. He doesn't know what he's saying. I said the same thing about Sam Moran. You know, I said, Sam. you know, and I was killed for that because they wanted to believe he was the next Chris Pronger. You're damn right I just, he is. I just didn't see it. Yeah, I mean, they are now because they neither of them can play. So. Wow. So, <laughs> and again, like, but like with Sam Moran, like he he's a really nice kid. I feel horrible for him because he's put so much work into his rehab and everything, but he can't stay healthy. And I just don't think the league has gone in a direction where he can have success.
1: Dan has a man crush on Sam Moran. Yeah.
2: he—he's Look, he's a great kid, but the league has just changed, and it's changed very quickly. I mean, geez, he was drafted in the freaking Reagan administration. You know?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it does feel like forever ago. Shit.
2: Yeah,
1: 2011. Uh, something I wanted to ask you, but I... Okay. Something I wanted to ask about Ghost, man. I, I was going to agree, actually, because the expectation stuff, I feel like it's not... Not that I'm sticking up for Ghost, but it's not really fair, you know? Like, he came in, put up 65 points in his second year, right? And everyone's like, oh my god, 65 points every single year.
0: That's all I hear to this wow. day is, in his yeah. defense. He had 65 points, Daniel. Well,
1: you know, could it be that that was the anomaly year and what we're seeing now? Well, that was, was actually,
2: actually his crazy. fourth year, yeah. Oh, was it? Yeah, his, his second year he had 46. So it's like... 17 goals.
1: Yeah, it's like, you know, could could that be the year where it's like, hey, maybe he just had a fluke season and what we're seeing now is actually Shane bear? Because I bet you a lot, a lot of people would be less pissed off if, you know, they weren't expecting 60 points from... You know, ghost. Every and let me tell you what: playing on a third pairing on defense, you you're not gonna score sixty points. So like, uh, my frustration with ghost was that he's a defenseman and he sucks at playing defense, right? You could score, you could score, you know, sixty points, but if you give up sixty one, like, what the fuck? Your your position's defense. Stop the other team from scoring goals. I don't want to see three sixty uh, moves on your blue line or any of that kind of bullshit. Uh, and so, yeah, so, like, my, my kind of distaste for Ghost kind of grew throughout the last two years. This year I came in with a new mindset, all right, don't worry. He's not a 60-point defenseman. Just expect him to go in, learn a new system, do his job defensively, and that's it. And uh, and to this point, he hasn't really pissed me off like he has in the past. But, I mean, he's not doing anything for me to be like, oh, Ghost is having a pretty solid
2: year, you know? Well, the other thing, too, is you got to consider that he was on PP1 for so long. Yeah. So a lot of those points came via the power play. I think in his sixty five point year, he had seven power play goals and thirty-three of those were power play points. Wow. So he feasted on the power play.
1: Yeah, he sure did. Hey, and is it mayor does none of his shots ever get through the net anymore, it feels like. I feel like every time he shoots, it's either blocked or wide.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I think that that's, (laughs) I've heard a lot of people bring that up, but getting shots on net on the power play is, when you know that's where it's coming from, is not easy. You know, players do such a good job now filling lanes uh, for shots to the net, especially when you have a high point man power play like they play with him. Um, So I'll take him off the hook a little bit on that. I mean, you do have to, he does have to hit the net more so you can get rebound opportunities, but... They were so one-dimensional power play-wise, and yep. so predictable that yep. you know teams do a good job of limiting that. And you know they set up screens. When a team sets up a screen, you know if if the if the puck is on, say, shaded to the left point, which would be the side Giroux is on on the half wall, and that's where the shot's going to come from, shaded to that side, not high point middle, then the screen is set up in a particular way. The goalie has a read on that, and he's He's taking short side. The rest of his defensemen are taking long side. The goalie's read on the screen is always to cover the short side of the net because there's more congestion in the middle, i.e., chances for a shot to be blocked. So you're shrinking the size of the net. So it is a little bit more difficult than people realize.
0: Right. There was and like that accepted, thirty game stretch it. when Bear first broke into the league in twenty fifteen or whatnot, and there was like a thirty game stretch when nobody knew about him yet. He was just firing away on the power play from the point, point. and once they knew he was there, he's never been the same since.
2: Yep, the league adjusted to him, and he hasn't. He hasn't had the ability to adjust back. Like you see, Carter Hart, he went through an adjustment period this yep. year where, you know, he he's down, and and it's it, it's called post integration when anytime the puck goes below the hash mark on the wall to the goal line and slightly below that goal line, it's a, it's a zone in goaltending, and they're called dead angle zones. And when you go into that, you go into a position in a post integration called an RVH, which is a, it stands for reverse vertical horizontal. And you saw him get beat a couple times up high on sharp angle shots in that position. So he had to adjust because at the NHL level, when you go into an RVH on a dead angle shot, those guys are good enough to put that puck by your ear. Couple that with the fact that when you're in an RVH position, your body is in a lock mode. Your job is to seal the pipe and everything down low that can potentially come out front. Um, Because anytime a pass comes from a dead angle like that to somebody in the slot, it's like 93% of the time that shot will be below 18 inches off the ice. So you're taking away low because you're playing the numbers. Now you saw him, you saw the one off his head off the goal line. So what's the adjustment? Well, you got to hold your edges longer because at that level, when you leave that pocket at the top of the net, you can't react to it because your glove is in a pinned position because he plays an RVH, a standard RVH, not a hybrid RVH where he has mobility, Because the pin down to the top of his pad and against the pipe to seal that So what what has he done if you've noticed a little bit lately he holds his edges a little bit longer And hold his edges means he stays on his feet a little bit longer Allowing him a little bit more flexibility to use his arms Have active hands keep them in front of him and stop those pucks that would be targeted for that That's the adjustment that's why you've seen his numbers grow Danny yeah that might have been a little technical but oh well
1: <laughs> no, I thought that was good nice in-depth that's what people like to hear you know helps, helps people understand a little bit Dan
0: yes sir what else you got over there um oh how about uh what do you feel about Vrobi of uh Verovia getting called back up
2: well that's because of the raffle injury because um, Raffle broke his, I think, his pinky on his right hand last night. Um, so they call another forward up. I don't know that you'll see him in the lineup immediately. I think they may draft 7D hmm. and go with one less forward. Um,
1: that, that's been working for them, actually, when they've done that, I think. They've done it, yeah. what, two or three games, and it worked out all right.
2: Yeah, I don't love it, the, the, the imbalance that it provides, and especially if you get into a game where a couple of your forwards end up in the box oh yeah because then you're point. really shorthanded and invariably that's always what happens now, You dr- you dress 7d and you you don't dress your full complement of 12 forwards right then what happens a, a forward gets a penalty or yeah. a 10 minute misconduct or a forward gets hurt yep now you're playing with 10 forwards and that that can be, really be a problem i think it's there's a little bit of risk involved there
1: you think opponent matters with that? Like for example, tomorrow night they have the Phoenix Coy- or Arizona Coyotes, not really a, a rival, not really like a, a physical type team. You think 7D is a, a team they? I'm I'm sorry. You think Arizona is a team they dress uh, 7D against?
2: I, I think they will do that against Arizona tomorrow night, and they'll see how it goes yeah. before they decide what they want to do against Ottawa on Saturday.
1: Yeah, Ottawa's got some some more physical players on their team. I'm thinking guys like Brady Kachuk and whatnot. So yep. could Precisely. be something there. Yep. Good points there, man. I mean, uh, personally, I'm not the biggest fan of Robiev. I know Dan uh, watches a lot of Phantoms. Uh, he apparently he does pretty well uh, in Lehigh, but when he comes up to to the Flyers, uh, there's like a switch that doesn't go off or something.
2: Yeah, he's a little bit more freewheeling. The NHL is so much more structured um, in play than, than in the AHL. So your assignments and where you need to be are so much more Just like precise and he's a little bit more of a freewheeling player when he came over I remember talking to Scott Gordon about this and Scott Gordon first got a hold of him with the Phantoms They had to teach him where to be on the ice in a lot of situations because he's used to He was used to a playing on an Olympic sheet size of ice an international sheet, which is much bigger So it allowed for a little bit more freewheeling and more time and space Um, And he just needs to learn when to be on the right side of the puck especially in the neutral zone and the defensive zone. He's got to put his body between the player puck and the net. And there was a little bit, there was a, a little bit too many instances where he's on the high side and not on the right side of the puck. People always go, what's that mean you've got to be on the right side of the puck? That's what it means.
1: That's interesting. So you, and, you think his game just doesn't translate to the NHL?
2: No, not necessarily. That. I think that just he still needs some time to learn. Okay. And I mean, he's got he's got good skills. I mean, to me, he's going to be at best. He's a bottom six player to begin with. But um, that being said, I think there's those mistakes make coaches a little hesitant to put him out in certain situations, especially in close games. Um, so so he's guy. he doesn't you know, he's not a guy that's going to really bang. You know, he doesn't he, he's got a, a really good, well-rounded skill set, but he does nothing great
1: at That's the NHL level. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. why he just, he, I guess he's a body. Uh, we were talking a little bit before the show tonight that I think, you know, maybe they need to prepare for future in case, of, cause I'm sure somebody else will, may go out with an injury. Uh, you know, who knows, but you know, this is the second injury, uh, first being law. was out for a month now. Raffles out for a month. And you know, when Lawton got hurt originally, it's like, okay, well, it's not one of your, your main players. But during that time, out, is when they really kind of struggled. I mean, they had to shuffle their lines a little bit, you know. And I think that's when we saw guys kind of slumping. When Lawton came back and, uh, you know, was put alongside Hayes and Farabee, and they were able to bump up Voracek to that second line with uh, Kutz and, and Lindblom, is when we really started to see guys take off. Uh, for example, Hayes... Uh, what would you have written down there, Danny? He's got a, three goals and an assist or something like that since Lawton's been back?
0: He's has uh, – the last four games he has two goals and two assists, and his last eight he has four goals and three assists.
2: Yeah, he, he's a guy – Lawton just helps slot the team correctly. Yep. You know what I mean? That, that's what it does, and he gives you a lot more variables and, and ways to disperse your centers. And by having Lawton, too, you can also now put Giroux back on a wing.
1: Yeah, and I think that's – it's extremely important for this team – uh and Voracek's gotten going and you and you could say um you know anybody that plays with Coots, uh you know it's easy to score points this and that but you know I'll take it from Voracek I mean he looks like a brand new player playing alongside Sean Couturier and, and Oscar Lindblom and you know I'm not saying that it's directly credited to Scott Lawton coming back but him coming back makes that uh you know makes that possible to do and now you have three lines being rolled out Farabee's got a goal and a couple of assists and in his last couple games since Lawton's been back you know guys it, it just looks like guys are able to play you know uh, more freely offensively they're able to roll three scoring lines out there as, as opposed to two
2: yeah, even with that Pitlick, Pitlick line on the third, on the fourth line, you're getting scoring there too. Raffles giving you something when he was healthy and Pitlick oh, yeah. was giving you something. So, yeah. I mean, th- again, what do we kind of start out with was about if you're going to have success, you need depth. And they have depth. Dude, and that, and, that's and you don't even have yeah. Nolan Patrick.
1: Oh, my God, dude. I, I, part of me wanted to ask you about him just because, but I know it's, you know, everyone – people get real sensitive about, you know, Nolan Patrick and – you know, whether it's uh, – and I'm not knocking anybody here. I'm just saying that people get real sensitive for almost no reason. Like, really, nobody knows what's going on with the kid. You know, and uh, and I'm not saying rush him back or, you know, it's just a headache or, you know, maybe he's got anxiety, whatever it is. You know, I respect whatever it is. But wh- what do you think about the Nolan Patrick situation? I mean, we're 28 games in. You know, people are starting to question, are we going to see him this year? Uh, what are your thoughts and opinions on Nolan Patrick?
2: I think we do see him, and I think we see him by career by Christmas. Cool. Um, I know he commented the other day that he is planning on playing this year. I think they're starting to get things under control. Um, They've kind of tampened down that this is a post-concussion type of thing. I don't know whether that is or it isn't, but it's – for the kid's sake, you really hope so. I mean, because he's a talented player. Oh, yeah. So. Um, and they need him. I mean, if you get it, if you can all of a sudden get him in there as your third line center and now move Lawton down to the fourth line. I mean, geez, you're in great shape.
1: Holy shit, man. All of a sudden they're rolling four lines. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love to see him back right now. They have the luxury of, you know, he could take his time, this and that, because they're playing well without him. Uh, I, for one, I was, I was really excited to see him play under Elaine Vigneault. I feel like you now he's, he's kind of has that same fire, like, uh, like, travis connect he's got a little bit of spice to his game mm-hmm. uh i, I feel like skill, playing, yeah playing playing for vigno i feel like vigno would really bring that out of him you know no and i, I yeah. thought I, he was in for a, a maybe a, a breakout year like 50 60 point type season who knows
2: yeah it's, it's about what i was hoping for him yeah. as well we'll see once he does get back you know how long it's going to take him to get into game shape and learning the system on the ice without thinking
1: yeah, that's that's true. You still have to do all that. That's very true. Uh, what, Dan, are we over an hour here? Yes. I don't know how, Jace. I mean, Jace, we could talk to y'all night, man. So, but <laughs> <laughs> I know it's getting late. It's uh, what what the hell night is it is? It a Wednesday. Sure. Yeah. All right, cool. It's Wednesday. <laughs> really, Wednesday? Yes. But now I'm second guessing myself. All right, cool. All right. Yeah, we could wrap it up. Yeah. Let's uh.
0: Uh, wrap this one up. Uh, just want to make a plug quick. The Angry Negative show will be uh, splitting with Brotherly Pod was we'll to be part of it, but we are going to join our own show. Make sure to check that out. At Angry Negative is the new page on Twitter, so be sure to follow that. The links to all the new platforms will be up in the next couple days. We're waiting for our hosting site to distribute that and they're taking fucking forever to make that happen, so uh, those will be put up on the Twitter pages uh, until then, but everybody, we will uh... Well, uh, it'll be uh, dispersed appropriately in the next couple days, Jim.
1: Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, so on high and wide radio next week, we got Rush Joy of Crossing Broad coming on. That should be fun. Uh, and then not 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 too long after that, we have uh, Kelly Hinks from Broad Street Hockey uh, Radio coming on. So a couple guests uh, coming up, and you know should be a good time. Jace, you got anything you want to get in before we wrap up?
2: Now nah, Check out the Stick to Hockey podcast. Uh, it's on iTunes. Stick the number two hockey uh, pod on Twitter. Give it a follow. Give it a rating or review. And if you like it, I appreciate it. If you don't like it, fuck off.
1: <laughs> Perfect way to end the show right there. Because I, I feel like that's the, uh, the core of angry and negative. If you like it, awesome. If you don't like it, go fuck yourself. Love it. Jace, thanks for coming on, man. Always a pleasure talking to you.
2: Always, anytime. Good job.
1: Thank you. Take care, man.
2: See you guys.
0: All right, and um, the man. Absolutely, great interview there. <clears throat> All kinds of stuff. Wasn't super nervous. I didn't pee my pants or anything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> did you or did you really not pee your
0: pants? Now, I'm I'm far less away from peeing my pants than you are right now, Jim. That's fine.
1: I really was going to pee my pants. I was going to get up and I and I looked around. I don't have any cups or bottles over here. <laughs> I am
0: flashback <laughs> from season one.
1: Yeah, dude. I am. I was really and then it just goes away. But I like for like uh, like five minutes. I'm like, please God, don't ask me any questions. Please God, don't. you know what I mean.
0: Oh, uh, uh-huh. Let me wrap this up because we didn't finish recording. I'll be back uh, probably Sunday with Anthony. Look for us uh, angry negative probably Thursday next week and. Uh, Maybe we'll do a show on Monday, Tuesday some, with somebody. It's been a while since I've done a early Pod. Maybe hop back over there and do something there. But uh, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, until next week, goodbye and good night.